0: This is Sandy Clough and
1: Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Delighted to be joined by our next guest. You've heard him on the program before, the Colorado Avalanche beat writer for the Denver Gazette, Kyle Fredrickson. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Fredrickson. That's F E. Uh, pardon me, F R E D R I C K S O N. So not Fred Durickson, Fred Rickson. See, easy enough to spell. Kyle Fredrickson on Twitter. Kyle, thanks. For joining us, uh, free agency hasn't started. Didn't keep the Avalanche from having a pretty busy week.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I, I thought this was supposed to be the off season, my, my first one on the NHL beat. But, no, it's, it's, it's been fun. There's been a lot of movement. And, and kudos for the Avalanche for, for not just kind of standing pat and and, and holding still during a time when, when they need to do a little bit of roster retooling.
2: Oh, You've indicated some surprise at how active they've been prior to July 1st. Uh, Was there any one of those moves that surprised, impressed you more than any other?
0: Yeah, you know, I I think when you look at the trades that this team made, you know, pre-draft, looking at their needs, you know, it's nothing that, you know, the franchise is going to get so excited about where fans are going to go out and and start buying jerseys. But the team made it pretty clear what they wanted to address uh in the trade market and that's sure up the middle. You know, you're you're getting two guys and Ryan Johansson from the Predators and Ross Colton from the Lightning who figure to be in that two C or three C mix. Um, you know, and and we'll see how the season shakes out. But those were big areas of need and instead of like I mentioned, you know, waiting to see what was gonna happen or waiting to see, you know, who was gonna be available starting in free agency, uh the abs got busy and, you know, at the, the best part about those trades is they give up two players that, at the end of the day, aren't really in their plans. You know, Alex Galchenyuk uh, is is a veteran that basically rehabbed his career with the abs. And I hate to see Alex Newhook go because he's a good guy and I enjoy talking with him in the locker room, but he fell short of expectations. And you got a first-round draft pick whose return is still pretty high after three years in the NHL. I think it was a great time to to move on from him and try to get the best return you could get. And, and the fact that they got Colton in that deal really, to me, is just a sign of, of the savvy of this front office uh, to really play checkers when a lot of teams, or, or to really play chess when a lot of teams are playing
1: checkers. Mm-hmm. Now, going forward, they do have needs. I mean, it looks like they they still have a, the restricted free agents of their own to deal with. You know about Bowen Byram, that's going to get done. We know about Colton, that'll get done. What are some of the unrestricted free agents? Before you came on, we talked about uh, three that we identified that we believe in in certain levels could really help. Evan Rodriguez uh, and perhaps even returns for Andrew Cogliano and, and veterans Jack Johnson. What are you hearing about the Avalanche's own free agents, whether it be the restricted or unrestricted variety?
0: Gotcha. You know, from what I've heard, and this is really no surprise Is that JT Comper is is more than likely not gonna be back and and that's based on the the way he's played and and what the salary he's gonna command and and and, and that's you know I think best for both teams at this point. And it shows sort of with those moves they made in the trade market that they don't think JT's gonna be back. I do think there's optimism that Evan Rodriguez could be a guy that, that would re-sign. I don't see it being a very long term deal. Just based on the fact that he was sort of part of that depth group that didn't show up in the playoffs when it counted the most, Um, but he's going to have himself a market as well. I I don't know uh, if if the price that he's going to get on the open market is higher than what the ABS would offer, but we'll certainly see how it plays out. You mentioned Byram. um, You know, it's it's a no-brainer that they're going to want to bring him back. Um, You know, Sam Girard to me is, is another guy. Who could end up on the trade market. I mean, you look in the you know my mentions on Twitter. Everyone's wondering why this guy isn't getting moved uh, unfairly. I think to some degree, uh, being quite that, unfairly. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's been some high-profile mistakes, but he was you know one of their better players, uh, especially down the stretch in the playoffs. Um, so you know, Devontae's you know they can start negotiations with him on right. July 1st. Um, you know, he's been so key as part of that top two defensive pairing. I'd be pretty surprised if they moved on from him or, or used him as trade bait, even though he is a player who could really return something special, um, you know, if the ABS were to package him um, potentially with a pick or, or with another player as well. Uh, but, yeah, there's, uh, you know, decisions to be made about a lot of these guys, um, you know, but for the ABS, uh, you know, nothing that's so pressing that that should stop them from being aggressive and, and also trying to pursue their own UFAs.
2: Did the way they drafted last night fit in with the other moves they've made, in your opinion, uh, and continuing with the draft today even, all pretty much centers and defensemen?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I was really curious to, to see how it was going to play out and if the Abs were also going to use both of those first-round picks, right? I, I think there was a thought that, they would move at least one of those higher like round choices, right, to, to to continue roster building. But you know, it was it was indicative of of the entire draft. I think with with how it played out with the abs, uh, that they didn't feel like they needed to trade. That they liked the players that were available in that late round, you know, uh, kind of sector of the draft uh, of guys they feel like they they can build around. And you know, Calum Ritchie. Uh, you know, a big six-foot-two, two-way center. You know, he was a, a top-ten prospect before uh, an injury kind of derailed, you know, some of his season. He still produced at an elite level. But that's the exact player you want to get late in the first, right? A guy who's upside is as good as anybody. but Maybe there's just one or two things that are a knock against him. Um, and to me, it's the same thing with Mikhail Gugliev. Uh You know, he's the, the defenseman that they got late in the first. Uh, you know, a, a guy who fits exactly what the Avalanche have built uh, which are maybe guys who are a bit undersized on right. the blue line. under six feet. Such great offense, yeah, yeah such great, great offensive skill. It makes sense to me. And, you know, I, I don't pretend to be any kind of international hockey scout. I'm, I'm learning as much about these guys as, as everyone else. But, it, it, you know, it certainly seems to me like the Avalanche had a plan. They stuck to it. Um, and also just went with the best guy available. You know, I, I don't know if, if reading into three defensemen and, and two centers um, is it, too much of looking at what this team you know wants to build. To me, it feels like this is a team that thought, "All right, this is a, a deep class with a lot of guys we like. Let's let's see who rolls around, and, and we'll get who's there." You know, being that they didn't have to do much maneuvering uh, to get the guys that they did get.
2: So
1: now, now that they are added out to free agency, they, they do have money to spend. They will have more money, of course, on the first when Gabe Landeskog's uh, salary then rolls off. Uh, the, the books because he's being placed on long term uh, injured reserve. They know that he missed the season. That gives them you know roughly fifteen and a half million dollars. Uh, what do you expect that they will look outward to spend some of that on?
0: Yeah, I'm really curious, especially with you know the what they did in the trade market. You know, finding two centermen who figure to you know be in the top six or, or middle six. Um, You know, Ryan O'Reilly was a guy that seemed like the Avs were, where everyone was trying to connect with the Avs, being that, you know, he has the history here and, and, uh, you know, he's going to be a USA and and maybe the highest prize center on the market. Um, But to me, I I think they're going to look at maybe some more established wings, guys who, you know, have been very good in their careers, but sort of like their draft pick have a bit of a knock or a reason that uh, they might come at a, a a cheaper price tag. So, for me, that's, you know, Max Pacioretty with Carolina. Right. Uh, you know, he's 34, and, and he's just coming off, I think, of, a, of an ACL. But, you know, he's a guy who's scored plenty of, you know, 30-plus goal seasons in his career. Um, maybe the Avs get him at a discount, like I mentioned, the fact that, you know, he's such a high-level scorer but wasn't able to showcase what he was going to do last year. Uh, Connor Brown uh, with the Washington Capitals, you know, he's another guy who missed all of last season with an injury. Um, You know, maybe he could uh, be a reclamation project with the Avalanche, someone who's proven, um, but maybe the market won't be that high. So, to me, it just feels like those are the types of moves that the Avalanche are going to do because they're not a team that's going to overextend themselves, right? I mean, even with these trades that we've seen, it's just every time this front office makes a move, it feels like they're taking advantage of someone else's salary dump. Um, you know, just coming out on the other side, but looking like the smarter team. So, you know, those are two guys of, of a handful out there who, who would make sense. Um, but you know, I, I was also pretty surprised by the the Johansson and 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 the and the Ross Colton moves, right? I mean, those weren't necessarily uh, names that had been thrown around a lot. So, you know, credit to McFarland for not just uh, you know reading all of our crappy mock drafts and going off of that.
1: Sandy, I'm struck by what Kyle just said because it's what you've talked about too, and, when and Kyle place as uh, not overextending themselves you've pointed out that the avalanche have been successful because huh. guys generally are getting paid what they deserve to get paid and they don't overreach right. and overpay in free agency. And
2: I, I was saying this yesterday uh, kyle and i'd love to hear your reaction to it that uh, you know, when grubauer left uh, i wondered obviously he got some measure of revenge in the playoffs this year but right. I, I i wondered why for four or five maybe even $600,000 a year, he was leaving a Stanley Cup contender to go to an expansion team. And I flipped that around, and some people were asking this at the time, well, why couldn't the Avalanche, who have set his value in the low fives, gone up to six in order to keep him? He had been a pretty good goaltender here. But my point was, once you start paying Guys, even five or six hundred thousand dollars a year, more than they're worth, then you're where Tampa turned out to be. And Tampa's a great organization that manages the cap very well. But you're in a position then when you go maybe a little overboard on a couple of guys like that, you have to trade a Ross Colton, you have no choice. You're even telling Ross Colton, as Tampa Bay apparently did it in his exit interview the end of the year. We're probably not going to bring you back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, and it makes building a dynasty kind uh, of in this flat cap exactly. era even more exactly. difficult and, exactly. and give more credit to the Lightning for what they did when Absolutely. they did it. Absolutely. Three, three final in a row.
2: Three final series in a row. Right.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, and that's another thing to consider about this Avalanche team, and we're talking about all the, you know, top six guys they need and all the talent. And it is important to remember now with, you know, Alex Newhook gone, they need other guys on entry-level contracts coming in and, and playing some really big roles. You, you bet. know, Ben Myers, you know, some of these other guys at the Eagles that we've seen flashes of, um, they've really got to step up and, and, and be, start yeah. becoming elite players for the Avs to have a chance. And, you know, I, I did think last year with Dennis Balgan and some of the moves they made, um, that they were doing some of that and, and going into the playoffs. I think, you know, some of the optimism was, was there that those guys and, and JG Comper and then some of those, you know, more depth players who were being pushed into bigger roles were gonna step up. Um, but they couldn't do it. So, yeah, you know, yeah, especially really Morgan and
2: Myers. You're right. Especially right. Morgan and Myers. And you know, it would we went back, Sean did and looked it up yesterday. Newark only played a little more than nine minutes a game in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. he's right. about yeah. the same as Malgin. Yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought that was a tremendous deal uh, yeah, that they sure. made for New Newhook. Is a nine minute a game player?
0: Yeah, in and, the playoffs. And just think about the return that they got for New Hook and with that stat you just mentioned, it's right? Colton the thirty first out there, right? Yeah, and, and so you know, the, and the fact that they were able to flip those picks and, and to get a player who's you know on paper better than New Newhook in Colton. Uh, once again, you know, it, it just shows that the ABs are, are, are kind of one step ahead and are serious about, you know, this championship window. It'd be easy, I think, for some teams to relax a little bit and, and trust the roster they have, but the ABs know that they can't just sit back and, and wait and hope for something good to happen, especially with how the playoffs ended a year ago.
1: Well, apologies for your abbreviated off-season, but obviously it starts in (laughs) earnest uh, very quickly. And you want to make sure you follow Kyle for all the latest on the Avs? It's a year-round beat, Kyle. Yes, Kyle Fredrickson uh, on Twitter uh, for the Denver Gazette covering the Avalanche. You have a very uh, interesting off-season as they try to find another way to prop that championship window open despite the knowledge that Gabriel Landeskog will miss the entire season. Uh, Appreciate the insight, Kyle, and hopefully we get a chance to check back with you after the Avs make a few more moves.
2: All right, definitely. Thank you, fellas. All right, thanks, Thanks
1: thanks so much.
2: You know, I want to make a point about that because whether it was you growing up at a much more recent time Mm -hmm. or me growing up, remember baseball's hot stove league? Right. And how baseball had, in a way, certainly during the 60s, that the NFL had not yet figured out and certainly basketball and hockey hadn't figured out, to, to make their sport a year-round sport because people were very interested in the winter meetings. Right. Stove leagues. Trades would happen during the winter meetings. I mean, and, this yeah. came through the 60s into the 70s even uh, as football was gaining in popularity. But the NFL, about 40 years ago, I- I'll tell you with the advent of ESPN, honestly, in the draft, mm-hmm. cut, they figured out, starting with the emphasis on the draft that ESPN provided, they figured out a way to, in some ways, monetize their offseason, but sustain interest, get people looking forward to free agency. That's a more recent development. But get people to look forward to the draft and then somehow get people interested in OTAs and minicams. Right. Uh, which still is beyond me. But hey, I it's give better than the combine. them credit for actually usurping baseball Mm -hmm. and now hockey, NHL, basketball, NBA have shown that it is really a year round proposition. And for the hardcore fan, I mean, Dave's call uh, earlier, an indication of that Uh, fans have to pay attention all year long. If they want to keep up with their team, there are no dead spots.
1: Not anymore. And and, and, and the more aggressive the team anymore. is, uh, the, the the quicker they are about it. And, I mean, obviously, this is an aggressive uh, series of moves by the Avalanche. They find themselves. And in the end, look, you, you can argue with the relative quality, if you'd like, of Johansson and, and Colton as compared to what they've had. But you gave up Dalchenyuk, who doesn't play. And maybe a future version of Alex Newhook is better. But today's version of Alex Newhook is not better than Ross Colton, and you picked up a first-round pick for it. The Avalanche is it stands today because the Avs aren't worried about four or five years from now what Alex Newhook will look like at 26 where Ross Colton is now because at that point, their window may have closed. They're worried about right now, this fall. And they added two guys who will undoubtedly help them this fall for one guy that wasn't going to help them as much and another guy that never played for him. I-, I don't know... Yeah. How, I, I get that the upside of the the trade has something of a, a limit on it because you didn't add stars, but at the same time, you gave you improved your team unquestionably, especially given what you gave up. You,
2: you know what you added. You just to, have to keep going forward, traction, and, and this includes the draft. You added guys that can win faceoffs. Now, as I've said many times before, I'm not a huge faceoff off I, 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 I am. Advocate. I, think a, I think it's a bigger except part, except in certain situations. And close games, maybe on special teams here and there. But that's in terms of it being 51 49, 52 48, 53 47. When it gets to be almost 54 46 or worse, and that's where the ads were last year, then I think that does make a difference. And you bring Johansson in, who's a terrific faceoff uh, Colton can win faceoffs, And the Richie kid is apparently very good on face-offs, too. Puts an emphasis on it. And he figures to be not 55 to 60%, but better than 50-50. And the Avs didn't really have that with the possible exception of Lars Eller when they brought him in right. last year. They didn't. They finished the season, winning only forty six point seven percent of their faces.
1: The Avs will try to get better at that. And while the, uh, the hot stove league may not be the big part of baseball anymore, uh, baseball itself is going undergoing a bit of a rebirth. And at one of the rarer moments in history, we'll talk about Domingo Herman's perfect game what it means for baseball. Next on My Life Sports.
0: Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy.
1: One of the rarest things in baseball occurred last night. When I say rare, I mean rare. There have been over in the history of baseball, 235,500 games played. 24 of them have been perfect games. Two of them, by the way, were at 19th century games in which you pitched underhanded. So you know it, it counts, but you know uh, yeah. somewhat different. Yeah. Um, I, although the baseballs a,
2: are sometimes hard yeah. to see. Yeah. Although to at a certain
1: extent, you know, if you've ever played slow pitch softball, uh, throwing a no no underhanded is uh, impressive, let alone a perfect yeah. game. But uh, obviously a very different sport back then. But last night, Domingo Herman of uh, the uh, New York Yankees is the 24th player yeah. to throw a perfect Two game, dozen. which means on average, Sandy, it's. One every 9,800 baseball games played. So if you've ever seen one, uh, you are in rare, rare company. And there had been none in the last 11 years. 2012 we when there were three.
2: About a period right around that time mm-hmm. in Major League Baseball, three or four year period, 2009. 2009 12, through
1: 2012. Six perfect games in that time. Where,
2: where they had six perfect games. A quarter of the number that have been pitched in the history of Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And they, they were a little concerned over that. And, uh, wasn't that the time period in which Galarraga should have had one? Uh, Armando Galarraga would have had one as well, but yeah. Uh, On the twenty seventh out, missed the call at first base.
1: But that window, good pitchers: Mark Burley in two thousand nine, uh, Dallas Braden in twenty ten, yep. yep. also uh, the great Roy Halladay in twenty ten, yes. Philip Humber out of nowhere in I mean, twenty twelve. Halladay's
2: came in the postseason game, right? Uh which is holidays, highly unusual.
1: Um, no, Halladay was in May. It was in May of that year. 1-0 uh, okay, game. I thought he
2: pitched one in the postseason.
1: I think he pitched a no-hitter. no, perfect. Hit. no I'm not Perfect. Right. You're right. Right. You're right. Uh, uh, Humber, it was no in 29 with the White Sox. A lot of White Sox on the list. I had a curiosity there. Uh, Matt Cana, the wow. uh, the Giants, also pitched one in 2012, and Felix Hernandez pitched the last one in Major League Baseball prior to yesterday when he blanked the Rays 1-0 at Safeco the Field.
2: four Yankees who have thrown perfect games, I think represent a fairly decent, representative cross-section of the type of pitcher throws a perfect game two very good pitchers in back-to-back years david wells in 98 david cone in 99 whose perfect games weren't surprising remember they were playing in old yankee stadium mm-hmm. not the new bandbox, right <laughs> <laughs> in which uh Throwing a perfect game is highly unlikely. Throwing a no-hitter is almost as unlikely. But the four pitchers, apart from uh, Conan Wells, the two others, Don Larson, World Series, Game 5, 1956, that's the most famous one. Uh, The great lead that was actually given to uh, uh, the beat writer by uh, uh, the – off times, controversial but very talented, Dick Young, the imperfect man, pitched the perfect. Don game Larson did not Wilson.
1: know he'd pitch that game until a few hours before game time. He it was saw, his second start of the season. He
2: saw the baseball in his locker, which was mm-hmm. Casey Stengel's way of uh, he didn't know he was going to start signaling that you were starting the game. It, 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 he only came into the clubhouse that day and knew he was pitching when he saw the baseball in his locker at the, at the top of his locker. Well, what was the old, uh, the the old line in
1: Boulderham? Don't think. You can only hurt yeah, the ball that's,
2: club. That's right. <laughs> grab well, the ball and, and go pitch. Don Larson <laughs> had changed his, his pitching motion. It's basically uh, a no windup uh, delivery that he used that day. And Don Larson did pitch in, I believe, one World Series game seven. He was chosen by Stengel to start after that. But Don Larson was a thoroughly mediocre Pitcher. Not
1: that year. He had a, a 604 winning percentage that year, the best of any pitcher who had thrown one.
2: Right. And, you know, but, you know, he's playing for the Yankees. Uh, that helped. And the Yankees' best pitcher was Whitey Ford. Right. It certainly wasn't Don Larson. And, of course, Herman, who came into the game last night with a 4 and 5 record this year and had been blistered in his previous start. And I believe he's the only man ever. To throw a perfect game. He gave up ten or more in the runs previous, his start. previous start. But he comes on last night and he puts everything together. Um, Ninety-nine pitches, seventy-two for strikes, nine strikeouts. The first Dominican to pitch a perfect game. Fifty-one curveballs. Not a power pitcher. But but fifth hammering the strike balls. zone though. Oh, he was throwing strikes? Strike. Yeah. But he is he is. He is he is not a flamethrower. Uh, Fifty one curves, thirty fastballs, that averaged ninety two and a half. I mean, Kyle Freeland yeah. almost hits ninety two and a half sometimes.
1: That's that's on the, that's on the pokey side nowadays.
2: Seventeen changeups and one sinker and that eleven runs of time.
1: support, which by the way is the most in any perfect game. Of course, yeah. that doesn't matter because the perfect game they didn't get anything matter. off you. They, but they the eleven like, runs is and
2: the most. Uh, I suppose, and this is taking nothing away. Perfect game's is a great accomplishment. It is the Oakland A's, after all. Yes. Who don't have any Who are hitters. tanking. Tanking. And, Just they, say it, they're tanking. and they have no hitters. But uh, it is no, worth noting, no though,
1: that oddly, the A's had the longest active streak in baseball of not being no hit. 32 years. Yeah. And,
2: and they get it in, in um, this they, one. They had the money um, ball lineups through right. a large portion of I, that. That period.
1: Give him on credit too. We don't really call it the term, but unless you're really into the, the weeds for nerds and pitching, but he also threw what we call a Maddox, after Greg Maddox, because he threw a shutout and didn't even throw 100 pitches. Right, uh, right. That, that's a performance. Well,
2: and and like Greg Maddox, he's, he's not overpowering. I mean, I right? mean, you you think of just pound the zone. You think of young pitchers nowadays, and the the what what's the axiom? Throw as hard as you can for as long as you can, right. and we'll go to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And bring in somebody else who will throw hard for maybe an inning two if he's in middle relief at times, a long reliever. Uh, But after that, you're talking about one-inning guy. You're talking about a seventh-inning guy, eighth-inning guy, and a closer in the ninth. He really pitched last night. I mean, the opposition wasn't exactly fearsome, but he really pitched Uh, 51 of his 99 pitches were breaking balls and uh, 17 change-ups. I mean, that's 68 out of 99 pitches were off-speed.
1: The, the the Terrific the, pitching. It really he was. really
2: pitched. He didn't just throw a perfect game. And in he baseball, a in its
1: uh, odd sort of way, also notes a couple things, that uh, only the fourth pitcher ever to wear zero. Uh, Adam Ottavino, of course, also wore that uh, first pitcher of any to throw a no hitter of any kind while wearing zero. He's the first pitcher yeah. to ever do it. Uh, one moment, and and we talked about that that last time that the A's were no hit. It was by Nolan Ryan, the king of <laughs> Who no hit a lot of, fun and prior game. to that, it was Cy Young. Yeah, I mean here here's the no well, hit here's he, the no hitters at a perfect he, he, game counts against he, the A's. He, he, Cy Young in 1904, Nolan Ryan in 1990, and Domingo Herman last night.
2: You can look it's at terrific any era in baseball history and find that whether it was Philadelphia or Oakland, I'll skip Kansas city. Cause they were always bad in Kansas city. I know, but Philadelphia had great teams at times. And with Connie Mack, you were either champion or you were a chump mm-hmm. and there was no middle ground. And that's kind of the A's of the last 20, 25 years, right? 30 years. Either they're great, yeah. or they're awful, they're and there's bump. nothing in between. And now they're on That's their way to Las Vegas. That's the history of the franchise.
1: They're moving again. Uh, by the way, a little Boom funny bit or of that. A bust. Yeah. Uh, Taylor made for Las Vegas. The few, yeah, you're exactly right. The the few uh, times there was even a chance, Tony Kemp hit a ball to deep right, caught on the warning track. John uh, Carlos Stanton caught that ball on the warning track. The, the but beauty. it wasn't
2: a great catch. It was just a ball hit a yeah, long it was, way. It was the yeah. warning.
1: track. The, the funny thing is, you talk about the band box that is Yankee Stadium. Well, with, with the advances of stack casts and everything, you can tell all that stuff. That ball that was hit by Kemp that Stanton caught on the warning track in Oakland would have been a home run in exactly one stadium. Yankee Stadium. That's
2: right. <laughs> this That's
1: came right? in at home. Well, <laughs> I, I and, it- and in Ferris
2: <laughs> the, the old Yankee Stadium had of a- Short right Short, field too, right but, but it is kind of funny. Is just a, this is a bandbox box all the way around. I, I, I remember going into Yankee Stadium the first time in my life, 1966, a little kid who eight or nine years old, and looking out to center field, and I still can see it, the 496 feet. And I said, how can anybody hit the ball that far? Mickey And most people couldn't. <laughs> well, Mickey Mantle would hit the ball that far, but not necessarily the straightaway center. I mean, right. Mickey would switch hitter, of course, would hit him five miles as a right-handed hitter and as a left-handed hitter. He he almost cleared Yankee Stadium 525, tw- five I but think, but not, one that they actually measured once. You, you, you hit him I to, did it. to center field measured. over four hundred ninety-six foot sign. drove Joe DiMaggio nuts. Um, and that's why at one point Uh, Ted Williams for Joe DiMaggio swap was contemplated because Williams would have had as a Yankee, the short right field porch at Yankee stadium played half his games at Fenway, which had a deep right field. In fact, the bullpen, what is now the bullpen is called Williamsburg uh, because Ted Williams is still a hell of a (laughs) Uh, hitter and had great power and would, would hit home runs, uh, but uh, Ted Williams was famously a pull hitter and was not necessarily put at a position of great advantage by the Green Monster, which would have, of course, led to uh, more home runs and a whole hell of a lot more doubles for Joe
1: DiMaggio. Any, anytime Joe DiMaggio brought up, there are brought up, there are a couple athletes. Anytime someone brings up Will Chamberlain, I have to bring up the season in which he averaged more minutes on the court than minutes there are in a game, because I love that stat. It's essentially unbelievable. That's, that's unbelievable. One of my favorite uh, And Joe DiMaggio is one of my favorites, too. Remember, by the way, Joe DiMaggio finished with 369 home runs, was a career 325 hitter. you think 369 home runs. But when he retired, yeah. that was fifth all-time. Right. So, right. note that. But keep this in mind. He had 369 home runs. And three, uh, three hundred pardon me, three hundred sixty-one home runs. Pardon, yeah, three hundred sixty-nine strikeouts. Strikeouts in his entire career. That's The man right. finished his career walking this, away as the fifth-leading home run hitter in history and struck out only eight was, more times than he hit a home run hitter
2: who never struck out. Are you kidding me? And Williams, was, the craziest was, stats I've ever Williams heard, is ever heard. obviously not the. All around player. His high DeBage in strikeouts was. was his rookie season. Sandy, he had thirty nine. But look at Williams' strikeout totals. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, it's it's. They weren't very tired. high either. No, and Williams walked a hell of a lot more than Dubajia. Yeah, but I, I just still can't
1: get my my brain over the fact that a guy retired in the top five at home run right history and never struck and, out and, and struck out never only eight more out. times than he was as uh-huh. likely to hit a home run as, as he, he was to strike out.
2: out, which is just utter madness. As Mike Michael Malone might say, put that in. your Pipe and smoke that yeah. today's power hitters oh strike out
1: 200 times. Yeah. Tends to put the bat on the ball. And Williams, uh, again, no slouch. Of course, finishing with more home runs, the 521, striking out only 709 times. And the uh, on-base percentage in his career of 482 is still baseball's all-time best for a career for Ted yeah, Williams. Just think about that. Yeah. Just you, think about You, it. you can... 482. Um, 482 for your career of 19 years. By the way, three of which you missed in your prime because you were
2: serving at World War II. Exactly. All uh, right, Williams conceivably, if not for World War II and Korea, right. would be the home run king.
1: Right. Yes, that, that entirely possible. And uh, and and gosh, I mean, some of the, some of the stories for for those guys, I mean, just a, a little bit silly. Because remember, even in Ted Williams' uh, time in Korea, when when he served there.
2: Parts of two years, right? I think it was fifty-two and yes. fifty-three. Yes,
1: and the and his wingman, uh, he or me, he, Ted Williams was the wingman. Yes, for John, for Glenn, John Glenn, who yes. ended up being, of course, you know the, the most traveled American in space and long time. And John oldest Glenn oldest American space, in space. Said once,
2: and Senator that Williams was a far better pilot than I ever was. That was from John Glenn. Goodness he and gracious, Ted Williams man. got to be good friends. Uh, wow, Ted Williams <laughs> almost lost his life. In Korea, right, came a lot closer to losing his life in Korea than he did in World War II. Just a r- remarkable,
1: remarkable time period for baseball. By the way, baseball's uh, All Star start is to be unveiled tonight. Spoiler alert: there will be no Rockies. The Rockies will get somebody uh, n- named either Ryan McMahon or Elias Diaz uh, on Sunday yeah. the second when you were the reserves get posted because you, every team has to have somebody. So the Rockies will get their... Uh, well, we got to include one of you.
2: Uh, it'll be well, uh, Rockies McMahon got a Diaz. win last night. Uh, they did to raise their record. to They're no longer and on 50. the hundred lost pace. Sandy. No, no, they're slightly below it, ever so slightly. But they are still dead last in the national. Oh League.
1: yeah, it doesn't mean they're not terrible. So if you're not going to have any fun with that, how about have some fun with this? Because it's Superbook Sports. We're changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports. The most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, that one's kind of easy to remember, isn't it? You score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. That means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. How do you do it? Easy. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call one 4700 The boy, the Rocky Sandy, the, the, gotta get them out of my head. But the uh, a great, great job there by Domingo Herman. You, put it, oh, yeah. he pitched a perfect. Game. He pitched a perfect. That's game. as good as that's it. as, as, as good as you it. can do it. And uh, A's or no, uh, yeah, good for him. It's a good performance and, and good for him and, and good for baseball as well, which has been really experiencing sure. a renaissance everywhere sure. but Denver. I'm not going to finish our show like that. We'll talk about positive things next on Mile High Sports.
0: This is
1: Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We'll take a quick peek here at the uh, at the Denver Broncos. Four weeks from tomorrow. Uh, yep, here we go. It's, go. it's going pretty quick, but it's It's interesting. You had mentioned it, Sandy, so we talked about the offseason, which is now essentially complete. You know, the rosters are complete. But there is a position that stands out that seems alarmingly short. It does. I, and I'm not necessarily going to say on no. talent. You don't really know on talent necessarily yet. But uh, one, on certainly on production, because until... Somebody's actually done something, you know, potential's great, but until you've done something, we don't really know much about it. And there is there is a position on the Denver Nuggets that I think
2: for whatever reason uh is is not only just short, but woefully short. Five running backs on the ninety man roster as we speak. Now, I'm sure that will change by the time training camp starts, there'll be a few more
1: running backs in the mix. But, but will by- those running backs be of some
2: NFL pedigree? No.
1: No, you more likely you, you than you look
2: not. Look at all these guys who are out there and are still out there. That's true, right? That's true. Uh, you've got Cook. You've got Elliott. Cook, who, by the way, said he turned down an invitation from the Dolphins,
1: which is interesting. Huh. Because that, that uh, is surprising.
2: Yeah. Uh, so you got Cook. You got Elliott. You got Fournette. And who am I leaving? Cremon. who was supposed to. Be of interest to the Broncos and it may, may well mm. be, but they're all 28, uh, it, it, which is kind of interesting. Is Kareem Hunt 28 too? I, I think That's he's a older, but he might might not be. I'll look. I'll look. But but, but it, it struck but me but I mean, that they were right around 27, uh, he's 27. But, but keep but in mind, be 28. The Broncos also have, a, have
1: a, a. I mean. Yeah, the, the, the Broncos running backs, and I, I can list them in age order, I guess. They added Samaj P. Ryan. He's 27. Uh, Javante, well, we'll go to Tony Jones Jr., uh, who's had a little bit of time in the league. Obviously, he's 25. Uh, Javante Williams and Tyler Batty, out of Missouri are 23. Angelio McLaughlin, the undrafted running back at a Youngstown State who put up terem- tremendous numbers there, is 22. But uh, in, in, in Batty's case and, and McLaughlin's case, you have a rookie and a second and a, and a guy that's in his second year, no significant impact, obviously at the NFL level. McLaughlin hasn't even been there. Uh, Tony Jones Jr. Um, kind of in that role for the uh, sort of the third string running back, I suppose. But last year he got ten carries in yeah, total. Yeah. So you're, it's you're not talking about I mean, yeah, it really guys is. with a lot of coverage. I mean, it, it, when you look at, at, at Tony Jones, he's literally played eighteen games and had sixty-seven carries. In his career total, 179 career rushing yards. Uh, McLaughlin uh, obviously has none. In in Tyler Beatty's case, you're talking about a a guy that over the course of uh, his career, you know, last year, has one carry. So, I mean, it's a a sort of a stunning amount uh, of inexperience. He got the one with the Broncos last year. Uh, It did go for 24 yards and a touchdown, I guess, mind you. So, I mean, that's worth noting. But one carry. McLaughlin's a a rookie out of a a tiny school that not really sure you know how it's going to pan out. Tony Jones has less than 200 200 rushing yards in his career. So you have P. Ryan and Williams and Williams all of a sudden we weren't hearing at the at the end of the last OTAs how Williams is going to be ready to go for the beginning of training camp. And I do wonder if some of the initial uh, reports that we had gone off of and this was we had heard that Williams is not going to be ready uh, even for the regular season. Opener, if the Broncos weren't actually just trying to get a little bit of uh, positivity going in their earliest OTAs, he was he was out there on their very first workout and uh, not out there at the end. So either two ways to take that: he got worse, or they just decided that yeah, we don't need to run him out of here anymore. But either way, <laughs> um, not a lot of production in this in this camp, but especially given the Williams, we know Williams is hurt. We don't know when he'll return, but behind P Ryan, whoa, Sandy, there's barely 200 rushing yards and one touchdown. These entire the behind Pirine entirely. That's it.
2: It is kind of stunning. And remember all the years when Mike Shanahan used to find running backs, the Orlando Scaries the, of the world, yes, and, yes, and turn yeah, I into mean a thousand credit, credit to uh, an outstanding pretty offensive, pretty, line then, good sure. good offensive line back then for sure. Absolutely, but it, it does seem odd for a team that. Uh, reportedly wants to be a
1: yeah, lot get, more getting back into it with
2: respect a, to the running game. running
1: game right okay. right and, and not not Take some of the though. heat
2: off the quarterback
1: that's that's intriguing to me too and and you're right that there are there are free agents available and and perhaps the Broncos are just by the way, uh, their time. by their time
2: that uh cream hunt is 27 is is true yep he will be 28 on August 6th. Okay. So what, what I'm saying is all these guys. Right about just in time for you to get your second contract. Now or within re- the next realize that was a Six idea. weeks. Uh Cook, 28 on August 10th. Elliott, 28 in late July. Green Hunt, 28 on August 6th. And Fournette is 28 right now.
1: The Broncos may just be waiting, Sandy. When you talk about Camp Space, they have Cap Space about 9.3 million. That is 24th in the league. Uh, 23 teams have more cap space. So in other words, the Broncos aren't winning any bidding wars. So they may just be sitting and waiting and seeing what happens in some of these situations, especially because when you look at it, uh, some of the teams with even less salary cap space, uh, the Buccaneers, where Fournette was from, The the Giants, of course, and Saquon Barkley
2: still haven't quite worked their issue out. It's it's the era of the diminishing running. The Bills are one
1: of those teams that could really use it. They have five million left. The Chiefs have the least cap space left, as you expect, less than a million. So they're not adding. They don't really. They're not in the market as much. But the Bills probably are. Yeah. Uh, They don't have any space for it. So some of these teams that have running back needs uh, don't have a lot of space, and that includes the Broncos. So you're you're just gonna have to wait. Uh, for a little bit, and that's the way it goes. Now, interesting that that Cook, uh, by his own admission on his social media, turned down an invitation with the Dolphins. The Dolphins have about 13 million, presumably. I mean, that's a pretty good fit, too. It's a team that made the playoffs. It's his hometown that's team. That's his
2: hometown, yeah. I'm, that I'm tells me that Dalvin Cook would like
1: to maybe make closer to that 10 million-plus number, which well, is probably not out there It hasn't occurred to him that it might not be out there. That it might not be since out there by camp, this time. training <laughs> camps start in a month, like this time, the Broncos actually have one of the later starts for training camps uh, essentially in a month every team' is going to be at training camp so at, at a certain point you're gonna have to be able to look at this but it, it is a bad time to be a to be a an out of work running back because it, it is you're competing look who you're competing with if you want a running back you have a, you could you like Ezekiel Elliott, you like Dallin Cook, you like Leonard Fournette, you like Kareem Hunt. I mean, they're the are all 28 is, they're all will kind be of about the same.
2: It's well, a beauty yeah. in the eye and the now, beholder uh, thing. Uh, Cook has... And as a result, which one do you want? Uh, Cook has 1,282 career carries. Elliott, 1881. Hunt, 895. And Fournette,
1: 1132. Right. But Hunt comes with some... Uh, Baggage, of course, in his history that that uh, makes things a little bit difficult, too. So, uh, figuratively n- speaking, not that not but not as not, much
2: wear and tear as the other three
1: guys. And let's be totally honest: Sean Payton has been less reticent to take on those kind of talents in the past when he was with New Orleans. So, I mean, we will see. But it does feel like there's another move. I don't think that one of these four guys is up in Denver, but I can't really rule it out because right now each of the four is depressing the other three's market. And, and then there's that next yeah. group of the J.D. McKissicks and yeah, Mark Ingram and right. Rex Burkhead and Dontrell Hilliard and guys that you know you you like as depth guys. But but the top four guys, uh, there's simply not enough room for all of them to make money. So the Broncos could be sitting there waiting for a cup. They may look at this and say, you know what uh Javante Williams is our guy when healthy but we don't quite know when he's healthy we'll take any of these four in the short term so we'll just wait till some of the other guys get signed and we'll take the last guy left we'll just wait and and, you know offer that guy a half decent deal and say this is the best you're going to get maybe that's what they'll do but it it is it's really notable given Williams injury how little there is behind Pirine and especially the fact five on the roster Williams isn't Williams can't play right now they have four they have four right. running backs, including an undrafted rookie. I mean, it's insanely inexperienced behind P. I, Ryan, I can't remember. Who's never
2: been a lead back anyway, I, I, by the way. I, I like, P. Exactly right. like, addition, like P. Ryan. We both like that addition. But he's, never, Ryan, been but he's never been a lead back. he's never been a lead back. He is unproven in that sense. And I can't remember a single time, a month out from training camp, that the Broncos were as thin as they are at a position that used to be oh. not that long ago. No. Kind of the most romantic position. Glamorized, in at least uh, certainly. Glamorous, romanticized. Yeah. And it turned these, these Stunning. the players have become Stunning. somewhat fungible. That's
1: just the way it is. And yeah. uh I, I think in that regard, at least you find yourself in a spot where if that market is depressed, well then you don't really want to be uh paying it and so i guess they are not you know we will see the uh the, the news that that uh, we'll leave you with by the way good news for the colorado rockies uh chris bryant will be activated tomorrow ahead of the series versus detroit for however long that lasts so uh Good news for for however monkeys. long that lasts and, and, and good news yeah. for uh, those who might buy tickets to the weekend series you know uh-huh. you you uh, right. you might we'll get a chance Ryan. to see Chris Bryant well, uh, uh, Danny Bailey shaking his head straight. like Sean you're well, being a pessimist well, wait l- tell l- me l- when l-
2: i'm l- wrong l- no l- l- i'm l- wrong. i'm Chris
1: Brian. on the uh, Chris Bryant is washed train well yeah
2: oh. and and even That's why i'm laughing at the fact that him coming back is anything was he ever a drawing card and he how was do Chicago, you give somebody hundred eighty-five in and of himself? No, they had a good they had a good team. I mean, I know listen, he's rookie of the year he's the a, he's MVP a, He's a, he, a, a World hey, Series deal. I'd say he was unpopular. He's a good looking guy. I don't think they were drawing. He's handsome, well. he's successful, he's no, rich. I, those things work he's, out. He's not an electrified player who brings fannies anymore. See, people won't, I don't I wouldn't want to walk across the street to watch Chris Bryant. <laughs> I I, he's, I, he's a nice player, I but he's, he's not I have electrifying. I have he's never add. been electrifying. That's. He is not a five-tool player. Would you agree with me on that? Well, no. He can't run. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't, walk across, I wouldn't walk across the street to watch him play. Woo. Wow. By the way, uh, once again, thanks to our out-of-town uh, listeners. Absolutely. And- and viewers. And viewers, by days. the way, you can do that. You can go
1: to MileySports.com and you can either listen to it live or you can watch it as well. Danny Bailey puts that all together. Great call by Dave earlier, too. I uh, like to get those those uh, really sophisticated calls where so we can break things down oh, with you. love great. doing that as well. So thanks to everyone who interacted on the call and text line. Uh, Danny makes everything uh, sound and look good. Uh, by the way, down to 20th and Blake, it looks like a, a torrential downpour. So uh, Chris Bryant picked the right day tomorrow to get activated, Jeez. I suppose. At least he doesn't have to get wet. So uh, good or for hit him. By him. Stay, you know, stay out in Albuquerque and get yourself some green chilies and uh, enjoy one, uh, enjoy a tamale before coming up and uh, ostensibly playing against Detroit. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, stay out of the rain, if possible. Yeah. Definitely stay out of the hail. If you can, if I guess if you're going up to Red Rocks, be careful this time. Bring Yes. A, I don't know. Bring a sheet of Come money. I'm prepared. Yeah. Bring, bring a I don't know, something a little more solid to hold over your head because um, there's no shelter under there. So, you no. know, check that out. We'll be back tomorrow for Sandy Clough. I'm Sean Drotar. Thank all of you very much, especially those uh, listening on the app as well. My free Miley Sports app. Everything Miley Sports. The, the radio, the magazine, the articles, all of it right in the palm of your hand. We'll be back tomorrow.